are listening to a message from Westside Christian Church, located in the heart of Wichita, Kansas. We hope this teaching helps you to join Jesus and bring life. We would love to hear your story. Email us at hello at westsidechristian.org to share what God is doing in your life. Well, good morning. I want to begin by humbling myself before you. My name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. I've had the privilege of being on staff here at Westside for uh, just over two years. And today is going to be the last time I get a chance to stand up here and and share from the Word. And uh, I want to take advantage of the opportunity to say thank you. Thank you so much. It has been such an honor and a privilege to serve and to be a pastor here at Westside over these last uh, two and a half years. Some of you remember a man who came here with a big beard and an even bigger belly with a couple of boys in tow. Some of you got to be part of the story that saw my wife Kim come into our lives. We were married right here. So we share, uh, just like many of you, some very powerful and deep memories of God's work in our lives here in this place. So it is a special, special privilege of mine. And for my family, we want to say thank you. Thank you for giving us the honor of getting to be your pastor uh, in the capacities that we've been allowed to do so. Thank you so much. It is not lost on me that today is a momentous occasion. Today is, it's a big deal. I'm talking about basketball, of course, because you've seen me up here enough to know that that game tonight's a very big game. Look, when I walked in, I saw the looks on your faces. I knew, Kyle, don't you go there. My my brother Lou told me when I walked in, he said, you can say condolences and keep walking. (laughs) Travis Roberts is going to be here next week. He's the lead church planter for the district church He texted me last night before that game, and we were kind of going back and forth, and he said, I love the tournament, and I hate it at the same time. And I thought, never was a truer word said. In March Madness, you've got the excitement and the thrill of glory and the disappointment and agony of defeat. Am I right? These are hard times, March Madness. Look, I say that in jest. I know that today, and if you're a guest who's with us, you heard Pastor TJ this morning talk about the fact that we've got a congregational vote coming today. Now, we look at what's happening in the story of Westside Christian Church, and I don't think it's amiss to say that we live with tension about that tension is this something good that's coming or is it something bad should I be hopeful or is it all right if I'm still a little bit hurt and I can say that on behalf of our leaders our elders that living with that tension has been a reality for many months that it took Many conversations, many times of 
hitting our knees in prayer, asking God, what do you have in store for us? And it's not always easy. And sometimes, you know, when we ask God questions like that, we're not sure about the answers that we're getting. And we ask God, are you sure? Is this what you really want in my life? Because when we think about the way tension manifests itself in how we live, it shows up in all kinds of ways, not least of all in stress. Am I right? I mean, stress comes when those tensions are left mismanaged or unmanaged. Stress comes when we look forward and say, I don't know what's coming next. Stress. It's funny. Your brain has two channels that are at work. One is the sensory channel. That channel is working in a way to uh, identify those things that we can see and feel and hear and taste. That's our sensory channel. Then on the other side, we have the intellectual channel, which takes that information and then interprets it and puts it into the right context. The interesting thing about stress is that if we occupy our sensory channels, as I'm doing right now with this stress ball, we're able to kind of hold at bay some of those anxieties so that we can centrally focus on that thing that's going on. In other words, the thing that's getting us all worked up and stressed out doesn't seem so bad in that moment. That's, that's why some of the best stress reducers are physical activities. And it's at this point that those of you who are married couples can exchange knowing glances, knowing that God has given you, married couples, the great privilege of enjoying that which is the most successful stress reducer known to mankind. Amen. According to stress expert and author of Is Work Killing You? A Doctor's Prescription for Treating Workplace Stress. Elders and Pastor TJ, I confess I've not read this book, but just wanted to pull Dr. David Posen's quote. He says that the benefit of squeezing is that it releases some kind of energy. It also induces you to relax. And I think, I believe that given today's circumstances, we could all do with a little bit of relaxation. Would you agree? Make a fist, all right? Make a fist. Hold it as tight as you can. Hold it for five seconds. One, two, three, four. Five and release it. Did you feel the tension leaving your body? We're going to take it to the next level. This time when you make that fist, I want you to inhale. Take a deep breath and hold it for those five seconds. And this time when you release, let the breath exit your body. So take a deep breath and make a fist. Hold it. One, two, three, four, five. And release and exhale. Mmm. Doesn't that feel good? Well, these are great exercises. This is muscular relaxation, of course. But you're looking up here at me like, what's the point of that? Some of you are asking yourselves the question, who, who cares about doing something like that? Because what if, I, what if in my life I don't care about a muscular relaxation exercise because the stress and anxiety that I'm living with that stress ball can't touch it. 
some of us live in the tension of life that overwhelms us. Something that for you, you would say, Pastor Kyle, you don't even know the half of it. You know in your life that which is plaguing you deeply. Some of you are living with tension financially, right? You, you, you look at that bank account and you say, thanks God that I've got this money, but these bills are stacking up. I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to manage this situation. Maybe you got a tax return that's coming in and you're asking yourself, God, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to do something good or am I going to blow it on something I don't even need? And so we live with tension. Some of you are living with tension relationally. You're thinking to yourselves, I've got a relationship that's suffering, that's broken, that's hurting. And you live with the tension of thinking, do I share this piece of information that's so strong and powerful in our relationship that I've got to let this person know what's missing in our relationship. And then we're left with the tension of knowing if I say that, it's going to change everything. If I keep it to myself, I'm going to live with the tension for even longer. Some of you in your marriage, you live with tension. Thinking to yourself, hey, when I signed up for this, my expectations were a little bit different. And now as I find myself in this situation, I'm not sure this is all that I bargained for. And so you're feeling tense in your marriage or maybe in your singleness. If you're a single person, you are living a life asking the question, is this the life you have in store for me, God? Is this all there is? Is there someone else out there for me? Maybe it's in your age you find tension. And you look at where you are in life and you ask yourself, is there any more after this? What is next in my life? Is it something to look forward to? Or is it something to be absolutely terrified of? Maybe it's in your youth. I know in our congregation here, we've got some graduating seniors who are asking themselves, do I have what it takes when I step out on my own and leave my family's home and try to stand on my own two feet? Am I going to be able to make it? Maybe it's your health that's got you worked up. You think about your next visit to the doctor's office and ask yourself, is there going to be better news or is there going to be the worst news? Maybe, maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a parent and you're thinking to yourself, am I doing right by my kid? Am I leading my family well? Because I know the other day, I think I nailed it, but gosh, I could have done that better. Maybe it's your future. Maybe even for us as Westsiders, it's our future on the other side of today. That which is known to us and that which is unknown. They hang in the balance. And we wonder, God, what's next? Or maybe you find yourself in a battle of faith. That today, right now, your faith is struggling. You're not sure about your standing before God. 
that if you were to die today, you're not sure what God has in store for you eternally. Maybe you're distracted by doubt that has left you crippled, wondering, God, what do you have for me now? Henry Nouwen tells a story to illustrate the responses, the responses that we take to life when stress comes upon us and we're not sure about what to do next. He tells the story of a lady who suffered with a serious mental illness and she was being taken against her will into a psychiatric facility and she was thrashing about and it took multiple people to get her to where she needed to be and finally when they got her into the room they, they noticed that her fist was so tight that it was clenched closed, wrapped so tightly around something. It, it took two people to pry her hand open. And inside her hand was a coin. It was a coin that she held to for dear life, a coin that she thought that she would lose her very self along with that coin. If, if it were taken away, if they deprived her of that last possession, she would have nothing more and be nothing more. That was her fear. You see, in hard times, in difficult times, in tense times, you hold fast to what is familiar. Even if you aren't proud of it. You find yourself saying, hey, that's just how it is with me. I would like to be different but it can't be right now. That's just the way it is, and this is the way I'll have to leave it. And I'm here to tell you that once you talk like that, you've already given up on believing that your life might be otherwise. As Nowen writes, you've already let the hope for a new life float by. Since you wouldn't dare to put a question mark after a bit of your own experience with all its attachments, you have wrapped yourself up in a destiny of facts. You feel it's safer to cling to a past than to trust in a new future. So you fill your hands with small coins, which you don't want to surrender. With clenched fists, we hold tight. In our lives, with clenched fists, we wield weapons. A life lived with clenched fists cannot let go. It can't. Wouldn't it be great... If there was another way, wouldn't it be amazing if there was another way to manage, to deal with the tension in our lives, the hardships, the stress, all of it? What if there was another way? Throughout Scripture, there are some people who we are so captivated by, so incredibly enamored with that their stories rise to the top. One such individual is Peter. 
Peter was an apostle among apostles. This guy has so much of a story, you can't help but call him a legend. Peter is incredible. Listen to this list of things that are true of Peter. Peter is first in every list of Jesus' disciples. He's mentioned first throughout the Gospels. Peter is most often mentioned, more than any other disciple. He's part of the three closest friends of Jesus, along with James and John, right? This guy is so legendary status that even an angel knows his name. I'm not joking. An angel in Mark 16 references Peter and the other disciples. I mean, can you imagine being able to drop that on somebody? Hey, just so you know, <laughs> they know my name in heaven, right? This guy was somebody, and perhaps nowhere else could you see his prowess manifested greater than in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus acknowledges Peter's prominent role among the disciples. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter is a legend. I mean, this guy, he means something, right? I mean, if there was a list of who's who of Bible characters, Peter's on that list, somewhere near the top. I mean, he has a history. He has a legacy. People know about his ministry all throughout the region. Peter also messes up some. It, it must be acknowledged that Peter, he actually embarrasses himself in Scripture quite a few times. Like, especially in moments that would present themselves as being stressful. When we think of Peter, many of us instantly turn our mind towards the time that he says to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, if that's you, ask me to come and walk on the water with you. And, of course, Peter walks on the water. But what happens at the end of the story, Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. Jesus has to reach down and help him up. And what does he say to him? There it is. You of little faith, why? Why did you doubt? Did you know that Jesus called Peter Satan one time? Yeah, this, this is in Mark chapter 8. Jesus is predicting his death, telling his disciples that, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter 
took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now let's pause it right there just for a minute. Who takes Jesus aside to rebuke him? What's this guy thinking? What's he got to say? What's Peter got to say on Jesus, right? But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In Matthew chapter 15, there's this story about the Pharisees questioning Jesus about what makes them clean or, or unclean. Basically, they're coming to Jesus. The Pharisees again and again come to Jesus to try to catch him out, to catch him in some sort of a lie so that they can dethrone him and, and uh, speak ill against him so that he would not have any influence. They try to catch Jesus. And they ask him about the disciples who follow him and they're breaking the tradition of the elders. And Jesus isn't having it. Jesus isn't having it. He asked them why they break the command of God for the sake of tradition. Pharisees didn't like that. And in fact, the disciples come to him in Matthew 15 verse 12. They come to him and ask, hey, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? It's kind of like they're, hey, Jesus, Pharisees are mad. What are you going to do about it? Right? And Jesus handles it. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, uh, explain the parable to us. And then Jesus says, are you still so dull? Can you imagine Jesus asking someone, maybe, maybe nowadays we might ask it this, we're like, are you an idiot? Are you listening to what I just said? And yet, maybe this gives us a little bit of an insight into the depth of relationship that Peter actually had with Jesus. He ought to have known better, and yet, Jesus asked him, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth comes from the heart. And these defile them. So if you're tracking with me, Peter, the legend, has embarrassed himself a few times. He sinks when he's afraid because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He gets rebuked by Jesus because he does not listen to Jesus. First, he's called Satan, and then he's called a dummy. Did I mention the part where he cut a guy's ear off? It, that, that's in there, too. You, you'll find that in John 18, where in the garden, as Jesus is being arrested, Peter pulls out a sword, slices a dude's ear off. I mean, Peter is kind of making a fool of himself sometimes. But next comes a story that is perhaps the absolute hardest to hear. In this story, Peter disowns knowing Jesus. This story is in all four Gospels. Every single Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all make mention of Peter's denying Jesus. If you want to open your Bible or your apps and, and hit Mark 14, we're going to pick up in verse 66. 
While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter is broken. He, uh, he's not as legendary as he used to be. All the looking back, all the great things that he's done in ministry, the glory of God that his eyes have beheld, they don't comfort him anymore. In this moment, Peter is finished. Have you been there? Are you there right now? Some of us look at the situations that we find ourselves in, those places in our life where we feel the most tension and stress And we wonder, am I done? Am I finished? Maybe it's, maybe it's your marriage and it's at a spot right now where you're asking yourself, are we going to make it? Maybe it's in your parenting. You look at your child and you see the way that they are going and you ask yourself, is there any turning this around? Or maybe it's deep down in your heart. When you look at yourself. And you ask. Do I have what it takes. To go forward. Even another day. Peter. In this moment. Is absolutely. Crushed. Until Jesus rewrites his story. Turn with me to John chapter 21. In this portrait, in this moment, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the legend, the crushed and broken legend, Peter, has an encounter with the risen Savior. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, in this moment, gets told what his life is really all about. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus tells Peter to not let his story be inwardly focused, but outwardly focused. Now look up here. Look up here. Some of you have called Westside Christian Church your home for a very long time. Some of you have joined recently, like I have, but you are very deeply invested in what's going on here. You may be tempted to look at the story that is unfolding around us that says that today, when we have a vote, We've got just a few Sundays left to gather in this place. You may look at that and say, this is a failure. This is terrible. And I'm telling you, don't do that. Don't do that. Because the story that is unfolding around us is one that is so much bigger than the plot of earth that is 1819 West Douglas. The story that is unfolding around us is a story of God and His restoration and rebirth and renewal in our lives that we get to be a part of. Do you see that? Because in Peter's story, as he is restored, 
he goes on to do great things. He is sent out to make disciples who make disciples. He's a great missionary. He goes on to preach incredible sermons and people bow their knee to the one true king who is Jesus. Because when Jesus restores life, he looks at you and says, we're not done yet. You might be looking at your life and the stress that's got you down and the tension that is wrapped up in your finances or in your marriage or in your loneliness, in your brokenness, in your insecurity. And hear me when I say, Jesus is not done with you yet. He's not done. Jesus, if we give him the authority in our lives, he'll rewrite our story. He'll rewrite your story. He's rewriting mine. Now let me ask you this though. How many times would Jesus have to look you in the face and ask you, do you love me for you to believe him? That the story he is writing in your life is better than any story that you can make up for yourself. That what he is doing is about showing you who you truly are. Peter got that. Peter got to live in the freedom of knowing Jesus is who he says he is. He is God. And I am not. And I believe in your life, whatever tension, whatever stress you've got going on, you are two or three hard conversations away from having better marriages, better relationships, better control with your finances. And I believe that you start in a, a really good start on a great path when that first conversation is with Jesus. When you ask Jesus, what do you say about who I am? Jesus, what do you say about my money? Jesus, what do you say about my marriage? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want more of you. Jesus, please. When he asks you, do you love him? And you reply, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You acknowledge that he is God and you are not. And if you love him, you'll follow him. And you'll follow him wherever he leads. Now, and sums this up, and I'm going to invite the band to come up here as we prepare to finish our time together in the word. We have to accept this reality. The reality that he alone is God. And if he's God, I'm not. And if he is writing the story in my life that it is not inwardly focused but outwardly focused, I have a part to play in his redeeming story in this place, in my time. Now in writes, to care for others requires an ever-increasing acceptance. This acceptance led Jesus and his disciples to where they did not want to go. 
to the cross. That is also the road of those who believe. When you are still young, you want to hold everything in your own hands. But when you have grown older and opened your hands in prayer, you are able to let yourself be led without knowing where you are going. You know only that the freedom which God's breath has brought you will lead to new life. Even if the cross is the only sign you can see. But for the one who prays, even the sign of the cross will have lost its fearful character. Brothers and sisters, today, in the midst of the story you find yourself in, if your hands are clenched tight, if they're wrapped around something that you're holding on to that, that you think defines who you are, if you're holding on to a story that, that you've written for yourself and you proclaim is your destiny, I invite you, don't hold on to that any longer. That the life of those who pray with open hands is a life that can let go, a life that can receive what God has in store for you. A, a life with, with open hands is a life that's worth living. Now hear me when I say that when we open our hands to God, that does not mean that everything's going to be easy. But it is good. So today, wherever you find yourself in the midst of your story, if it's, if it's your brokenness, if it's your insecurity, if it's your family, if it's your marriage, if today's the day to let it go, I invite you to open your hands and pray to the one who can take your fear, your worries and anxieties away, trusting him because the call of the disciples of Jesus Christ is to live a life open-handed, trusting and believing that where he will take you is exactly where you ought to go. Almighty God, we proclaim that you alone are Lord. And God, therefore, if you are Lord, if you are God, we acknowledge in humility that we are not. God, forgive us for the times where we think we have control over the things that we know that you are sovereign over the things that you hold power over. May we submit to you, to your leadership in our lives and in our church, that we may have the freedom to live a life knowing who we are, that we are yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us at westsidechristian.org.